starting a new year today, and my prayer for you as we go into this new year is found in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. If you turn with me there, we'll begin with our sermon for today. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasseth knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That is my prayer for you as we come into this new year. I'm certain it is the prayer of your other pastors as we are heading into this new year. New Year's, Lots of people make resolutions. Annette and I had our annual discussion about, do you make resolutions? What is the importance of the first day of the year? You know, why not December 31st? Some people make resolutions and some people just set goals. I think I'm a goal setter. I like to set goals, but I don't resolve to do anything. Um, Annette's more of a resolution type person. <clears throat> and so we had that discussion. So I went, went looking, well, how do you stay with it? We drove by Pivotal Fitness this morning, and the parking lot, lots of people in there. And I said, I bet they make most of their money in the first two months of the year because everyone makes their New Year's resolution, and they're going to go to Pivotal Fitness, and they're going to work out. We're going to do that every day. How often do we fail in our resolutions? So I said, well, how do, you, how do you overcome that? So I went and looked, you know, you do your Google search, and there are all those clickbait articles, six ways, 10 ways, 12 ways, 14 ways to do whatever it is that you're trying to do. And sure enough, there were many 10 ways to keep your New Year's resolutions. So I went looking through some of those. Well, what, what are those? And as I continued through, there were some that kept popping up in every single list. One, obviously, write it down. Okay, that helps. But there was one that really stuck out as I read through. It didn't say it the same way in every list, but it was tell your best friend. Share your resolution with your loved ones. Talk about it with other people. I'd like for us to take that idea and come back to this prayer that I prayed. There's, there's one phrase that comes out of this that 
I've always kind of had it as a throwaway phrase. It's kind of, this is a beautiful language. When Paul was, was writing this, it's just so beautiful. The fullness of Christ and the power of God. All these things he's praying for us. And it just flows. And there's this one phrase that he mentions. As we see it here, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. And I just kind of go over that. Okay, well, we get to the next thing. It's kind of like, okay, I want you to do this. And here, I hope you do it with all the saints. But there are no throwaway phrases in Scripture. With all the saints is not just something to help Paul continue his meter. With the saints is part of his prayer. That this would be done, this prayer would be realized with all the saints. And that means that if it's to be done with all the saints, it needs to be done along with. It's not that Paul is simply saying, I hope you get this and everyone else also gets it. Paul is saying, and as we go through Ephesians, it becomes very obvious that Paul is saying, I don't want you to just have this happen in your life along with all these other people. I want you to have this happen in your life as you do it with all these other people. If we are going to be disciples for Christ, we cannot do it alone. We must do it together. If we are to live out this prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians believers that he was praying for us by extension, that we should be praying with for one another during this year. If we are to live this prayer, we must do it together. This is a prayer for us. So what I would like for us to do is make a resolution this year, a corporate resolution. Okay, let's just call it a goal, if you're not a resolution person. Let's set a goal for our church body for 2023 that we would be disciples together. And I'm not, that's not rhetoric. That isn't just Jonathan making the point of his sermon. I'm really, truly asking you to make this a resolution as a church body for 2023 that we would be disciples together, that we would be discipling one another. So the rest of the message this morning is, how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, if we're going to see what that's going to look like, we need to go back to the beginning. Not to Genesis, but to Matthew. So turn to Matthew chapter 28. 
verses 18 through 20. We had that read this morning by Laura. And I want us to focus on it again today. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are wanting to commit ourselves to corporate discipleship. And I will get further in explaining what I mean by corporate discipleship as we continue on. But what does corporate discipleship look like? Well, first of all, corporate discipleship and discipleship of any type depends on God. What does it start off with here in this passage? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus says, I am the one giving this commandment. And behind this commandment comes my power. I am not asking you to do anything that I cannot do through you. So as we look forward into 2023 and we seek to disciple one another, the first thing we need to do is relax. Relax. It's not all up to you. The power is not in you. You could not have saved John Newton. Only Christ could save John Newton. Only God could lead him to be the man that he was. That doesn't happen from any external thing. It happens because of the power of Christ. So when God tells us, when Jesus told the disciples, go out and make disciples... He was saying, I'm only sending you out to do something that I can do for you because I have the authority. I have the power. So the first thing we see is that it depends on God, corporate discipleship, and it's empowered by him. It depends on God because it is confirmed by God. We see this in the next part of the verse Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It isn't baptizing them in the name of Jim Wetterland or in the name of Subaru Baptist Church. Not in what you do, not in the identity that you take upon yourself, but in the identity that we are enveloped in, that is represented by the baptism of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Our working of our discipling is carried out when we recognize the work of God the Father's willing. His willing that we should all come to repentance. That He put into 
play this wonderful story of salvation. He wants you to come to him. He wants Super Road Baptist Church to come to him. He wants the world to come to him. And in his will, how did he make that happen? He sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And it was his son who after he died, after he rose again, he spoke to those disciples and he says, it's in this power of my salvation, go. Go. Bring others to fulfill the will of the Father. But he didn't leave us alone. He gave us the Holy Spirit. Jesus, like us, a physical body, stands in heaven before the throne of God. But he sent and left his spirit to continue to do the work. The power of his authority is ours today through the Holy Spirit. He has empowered us to do the work of discipleship. So again, when we talk about this idea of discipleship, relax. You don't have to finish a 12-course plan on becoming a disciple. You don't have to have a library full of books in order to be a disciple. And one of the reasons why that is true is because God has given us something else. He has given us salvation. He has given us the Holy Spirit, but he has also given us the church. And it's in the church that we are best able to carry out the call of making disciples. So with that, let's go back to the beginning again, to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. What does corporate discipleship look like? Here we come to the beginning. This is not too far after Jesus made that command to go into all the world. And here they are. In Jerusalem, Peter speaks, and many come to Christ. The beginnings of the church are happening. There is no sign, marquee out in front of a building saying the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. There, there's no crossway books publishing 10 ways to become a better disciple. There's no seminary. There's not even an Acorn Global. All we have are some people who came together having received the gospel of Christ, having received the Holy Spirit. And what happens? What begins to take place? Well, first we saw that corporate discipleship depends on God. But I want us to see that corporate discipleship 
is defined by devotion. Let's read this passage together. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Corporate discipleship is defined by devotion. Now, this word devotion, when we think of it, often, if I say devotion, you are probably going to think of, well, that daily quiet time that you spend reading your Bible and praying. It's a very personal thing that you are, you're having a devotion with God. And that is true, and we should have that. I think we, we need to have that personal devotion. In that prayer, it says that you would be strengthened in your inner man. So there is this individual relationship that we are to have with God. But it doesn't stop there in that prayer. Because if it was only there, that prayer could never be answered. It can only be answered with all the saints. As we have devotion, let's reuse this word. I'm not going to use the word devotion. I'm going to say earnest diligence. That they with earnest diligence did these things that we're getting ready to read about. What were they? And I want you to see that this is what discipleship corporate discipleship looks like. It is earnestly, diligently carrying out what the early church did that day. Now, I'm not saying to go sell everything. I think we get sidetracked when we get into that part of the passage. Let's focus here on verse 42. Verse 42, we read, and they earnestly diligently gave themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. I think the interesting thing that that stuck out to me as I was looking at this is we seem to be looking at two different sections of this verse. You see it says, they earnestly gave themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And then, to, they earnestly gave themselves to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. The first two are clearly things that you receive. You don't do the apostles' teaching, (laughs) and you don't do 
the fellowship. The apostles' teaching is pretty obvious. That's something that's coming to you. You are receiving that. Fellowship, a little different here. And we typically jump on that and say, well, that's the fellowship. We're going to go out and have a uh, fellowship after church tonight. And we're all going to go out to the pavilion. And we're going to bring a potluck. And we're going to have a fellowship. The idea behind this word here is not that act of fellowshipping. The idea here is, I can't help but bring up the Tolkien fellowship of the ring. And any other number of shows that you might turn on on Netflix, what is it? Everyone comes together, this small band of people, to fulfill a particular quest. That is this fellowship. The fellowship is the people who have come together, binding themselves together to do a particular quest. So we have the teaching of the apostles and the gathering of these people together in a fellowship, in a community. That's what was happening. They were diligently, earnestly, diligently seeking after the apostles' teaching within the context of an identified community of believers. Then, within that, what were they doing? And we come to the next part of that, and they were breaking bread, and they were praying. Those are two things that you are doing You can't fellowship with someone unless you take an initiative and you seek to have a relationship with someone. You can't pray without praying, right? So these are things that happen within the context of this community that is defined by the teaching of the apostles, the people who said yes, I agree with that. That is our fellowship. And then they begin to live it out. How did they live it out? They broke bread together and they prayed together. Now we have to understand when we're speaking of the teaching of the apostles, it wasn't simply that they were followers of the apostles. They were followers of God's word. The teaching of the apostles was God's word. And if we are going to grow this year in discipling, and we are going to fulfill the calling of this prayer that I am praying for you in 2023, then we must put our focus, our earnest diligence on the word of God. That's why when you come here this morning, how often do you hear the scripture read during our service? What is the focus of our service? We have wonderful singing. We have wonderful prayers. But it all culminates in the preaching, the teaching of God's word. When we leave from here, 
when we go to our life groups in the, the end, or I'm sorry, the middle of the week, what do we focus on? We come back to the teaching of God's word. And we sit and we talk about it. We share it with each other. We diligently, earnestly put our focus on the teaching of God's word. If we are going to be disciples, if we are going to make disciples, we must earnestly, diligently hunger for the word of God. It all begins with the teaching. It's kind of interesting that even here in Ephesians, it's said that the first three chapters of Ephesians are laying out the doctrine and the last passages, the last chapter of Ephesians is living out that doctrine. It's that prayer that becomes the pivot point in the book. That prayer comes from the teaching to the living. If we are to live as disciples, we must know what we are living Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, Hebrews 10, 23. So the first thing in our earnest diligence is to know God through his word. And then the fellowship. The second thing we need to do is identify with the people of our fellowship identify with god's people now this might seem weird to you but what i want you to do at this very moment is i want you to make eye contact with someone else in this room that is not your spouse i want you to make eye contact so let's do it okay who am i going to get There we go. We make eye contact. That is the fellowship. Do you identify with that person that you just made eye contact? Or is this just the marquee out in front? It's Sunday morning. I go to this organization... That is called Subaru Baptist Church. And I go and I do what I do at Subaru Baptist Church. And then I leave. Now I may be earnestly, diligently connecting myself with something else. My identity and everything in this world is you know, about our identity... I am seeking to find my identity in something else. Football, okay? You have to bring up a football illustration um, on New Year's Day. How many of you made extra effort to have something cleared on your calendar so that you could watch a particular football game? You earnestly, diligently made sure that that moment was available to you. And when you watched it, you invested yourself 
in that. Some of us invest ourselves more than others, and our spouses go, when things don't go exactly the way we wanted it to go in that particular time frame. But why, why do we respond that way? It's because we are earnestly, diligently invested in that identity as do we have that same type of earnest diligence in the identity of this fellowship? Are we willing to sacrifice for each other? That person that you made contact with, your eye contact with, are you willing to sit down and have a conversation with that person? It earnestly, diligently seek that person out and have a conversation with them. If we don't identify with the fellowship, if we don't say the body of Christ, I mean, the body of Christ is my identity. If we can't say that, then the prayer of Ephesians 3 is never going to be answered in 2023. We must identify with each other. You are my brother. You are my sister. We must give ourselves to one another and identify as that family of God. Now, yes, I know in Greenville, I have many friends that are my Christian brothers and sisters who are a part of the body of Christ. They're not members of Subaru Baptist Church. And they help me, and we grow together in Christ. But when it comes down to where is your identity of carrying out the work of discipleship, it should be here at Subaru Baptist Church. This is where your identity should point itself to carry out the work of discipleship. So, know God, identify with His people, and then share life with his people. The Bible begins and it ends with meals. The first words of God to humans are an invitation to eat. The first conflict in the Bible is over a forbidden meal. The last act of Jesus before his death is to share a meeting laden meal with his disciples. And the final vision of the new world is of a massive, joyful banquet. So when it says here that they were breaking bread, they earnestly, diligently broke bread together, that isn't painting the picture that, hey, they just ate. They filled their tummies. You have to understand the picture of a meal back in that day, that was fellowship. That was bringing people in to you. And what were they doing? It was even more drastic. They were selling all their possessions. And they were going house to house. They were living life together. The breaking of bread here is them living life together. So they identified as a fellowship and that led them to take action of fellowship.
Are you investing in other believers? Paul invested in other believers. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. He wrote to the people in Colossae. Give earnest diligence to help other believers grow. That is the definition of discipleship. You want to know what it is? Helping others grow in Christ. That's discipleship. How does that happen? It happens as we come into contact with each other. Yes, but I'm so busy. I'm, I'm so involved with my family. I, do you see these kids? Yes, I see those kids. I'm reminded of something else that Jesus said in another passage where he was giving the Great Commission of where your focus begins. And he says, start here in Jerusalem. Mom, it could be that at this stage in your life, guess who your disciples are, the people you are to be discipling? It is your kids. And here I am, the pastor saying, hey, you may not be able to go to all the Bible studies, the women's Bible studies. Thankfully, there are ladies who give to the body by being willing to watch your children during the Bible studies. But it may be that is your Jerusalem right now. That is your Jerusalem. There may be a John Newton back there in the children's wing right now. Don't remember. Relax. This is about Jesus, not about how much am I putting in. No. Give of yourself and pray, Lord, let me disciple my children. So that may be your Jerusalem right now. Praise the Lord. Make the most of it. But for those coming up in age, maybe you're sitting there, I don't have anything to offer. I don't know a lot of Bible. But you've already raised your children. And they're serving the Lord. And you have an opportunity to seek out, earnestly, diligently, go after a new couple that has accepted one another and into marriage, and they're beginning to grow, why not make eye contact and go to them and say, hey, let's just be honest. Can my wife and I meet with you? Can we have dinner? We'd like to talk about you know, your excitement of your marriage. We'd love to share with you what we've learned in our marriage, guess what you're doing? You are discipling. Discipleship is not a program. It's not something that you go through and take a course on, and then you are ready to do it. Discipleship isn't only setting up a time where we're going to meet for coffee every Thursday, and we're going to go through this book of the Bible. That is discipleship. But that is not only discipleship. Discipleship is not only that. 
discipleship is coming to Subaru Baptist Church on a Sunday morning 10 minutes earlier than you normally would so that you can have a conversation with a brother and sister in Christ. Ask them how they are doing. Find out how you can pray for them. You see, discipleship really isn't hard when we understand what it truly is. It's a body coming together, growing together. It's communion. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Hebrews 10.24 And then they devoted, they diligently, earnestly put their interest into prayer. And you theologians out there, if you can help me, it says to the prayers. I couldn't figure out. I, I haven't yet landed on what exactly does that mean. I had a lot of people saying, I don't know what that means. But what is it, the prayers? Well, something sticks out to me is that in Acts 1.14, we read, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They're obviously doing this together. And we, again, this is one of those things that just kind of, we don't realize the import of this. There were men and women praying together in a Jewish society. That was different. But they were together, brothers and sisters in the common identity, and they were praying together. So we see that prayers were obviously something they did together informally. They came together into this place to pray. But then in Acts 3, in verse 1, we see Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. They were still participating in this time of prayer there in the temple. As a matter of fact, that's where they were meeting The body was coming together and they were separate from Judaism and the fact that they were the new covenant, but they were still in that same context. So they were coming together and worshiping during the time of the prayer. So there was an organized time of prayer that they were involved in. I think as we consider growing as discipleship's and discipling as a church during this year, this is probably the one where we are the weakest. Praying together. During that devotion time, we pray, but how often do we pray together? We'll do a book study together, but how often do we pray together and make it a point of earnest diligence to pray together? So I bring us back in closing to the prayer of today. And I think in that prayer we find hints of the Great Commission. Empowered by God. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. There is power in his name. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant 
you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. In this prayer, there is a prayer that we would be empowered by God. And then there are hints of being confirmed by God. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasseth knowledge, that you may be filled with all fullness of God, grounded by God. And then, sounding very much like Jesus' final words, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We are sustained by God in this prayer. So this prayer brings to mind to me that command from Jesus that we read in Matthew chapter 28. And what is the result of all of this? Corporate discipleship results in glory. It tells us there in the last verse, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. The glory of his fullness, his richness of the glory of God is where our power comes from. And that goes back to his glory through the work of Christ and the work of his church. We fulfill the glory of God by allowing this prayer to be answered in our lives, by fulfilling the great commission as we disciple one another. But you may think, well, yes, but Jonathan, Matthew 28, the great commission, that is, that's the missionary verse. And Rick mentioned that this morning of the whole world. Well, what happened in Acts chapter Two, that last verse. When they were living as an identified group of believers, growing in discipleship, before there was ever a missionary agency, before anything of the modern missionary movement took place, what happened? And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That was the beginning of the missionary movement. And what happened after that? That identity, that fellowship grew, and it grew, and it expanded, and it went from this place to that place. It suffered persecution, which drove them to even farther places. But always, the body of Christ was living out the commission and the prayer of Paul was being answered 
And that brings us this morning to this congregation, to this room, to this church. I'd like for us to close in prayer. Our great Father, you have given us your name and called us to be your people. We ask you to empower us through the Holy Spirit according to the limitless power of your glory in order that Jesus may dwell in our hearts through faith so that we will be bound together as your people in purpose and love. Let us know and experience the love of Jesus that turns the revelation of your word into relationships. You long to do this for your people. Give us an earnest desire to know your fullness and in an earnest diligence to live in that fullness. May you receive glory in the way we desire you and through the working of your Son in us, both now, tomorrow, and when we are with you for eternity. Amen.